Hello and welcome to Off The Shelf Reviews. I try to be a law-abiding citizen. And I'm Gary. And today we're going to review and discuss Law Abiding Citizen, which released in 2009. Written by Kurt Wimmer and directed by F. Gary Gray. Ian, why don't you give us the synopsis? Well, the story follows Jamie Foxx's character, Nick Rice, who is a lawyer. He has just tried to take on the court case of Clyde Shelton, played by Jared Butler, whose family have been hideously murdered in a robbery. After Jamie Foxx's character decides to cut a deal, Clyde waits 10 years to exact his revenge on the whole justice system. I'm going to bring the whole fucking diseased, corrupt temple down on your head. It's going to be biblical. So it's very rare to get test audience reactions or the actual verdict or scorecards. Okay. Uh, but this film, according to Gerald Butler, yeah. scored a 95 out of 100 in its test audiences. Okay. And that is a near perfect score. Yeah, yeah. Like most films, when they're, you know, most test audiences, he said the score, average score is about 60. Oh, That's nice. a good film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you score 95, everybody was jumping up and down super excited that they've probably got a great hit on their hands. Yeah. However, when the film came out, it only, it, it did okay. Uh, it made 120 million worldwide. Right. But it wasn't, on its opening weekend, I think it was number two underneath where the wild things are. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't the groundbreaking success when it came out. However, word of mouth went pretty far with this film. I know everyone kind of spoke positively yeah. when this film first came out. So I was a little bit surprised when I actually looked at the the aggregate scores for this film across a couple of different websites. And interestingly, on Rotten Tomatoes, this film has a 26% rotten. It has a 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb. It's a complete contrast. Yeah. And Empire Film gives it a 2 out of 5. So again, pretty low. Yeah. So Jared Butler was lying? I think the test audiences may have just been the perfect audience for this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> However, I do remember when this, when I first saw this film, I actually thought it was pretty good as well. Yeah. Because I was surprised that Gerald Butler would be able to act outside of the Leonidas role. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I kind of put this film in kind of a weird trilogy. So like 2007, we had Death Sentence come out with Kevin Bacon. You know, a guy, his family are murdered, so he goes out on a bit of a revenge killing spree. And then 2008, we had Death Race with Jason Statham. His family are murdered, he's sent to prison, and he does this whole revenge race, and he gets revenge on everybody. So then 2009 comes along, Law Abiding Citizen comes along, and I'm like, oh, sweet, okay, another revenge story. Jared Butler is the vengeful father, husband, trying to enact his revenge on the people who have killed his family. But weirdly enough, this takes kind of the the role, the context that, I don't know, Jared Butler hates the system and he's taking his revenge out on the system. But for some reason, halfway through the movie, I get confused of who the bad guy is anymore. So the ending always seems a little bit murky. You know, Death Sentence has a great ending. Death Race is a great ending. Law Biden sits and I sit there going... Who am I rooting for again? But are you enjoying it? Oh, totally. Fuck yeah. You know? <laughs> like... Now, I'll tell you one thing that I did not enjoy. However, I've wrote it down as a memorable scene. And that is this film's opening. Oh, man, yeah. It is. It, it sets the film up kind of perfectly, despite yeah. being pretty uncomfortable. You know, we see this happy, 
idyllic family. Yeah. Evening setting. Knock at the door. Stranger. It's a baseball bat to the face. Yeah, yeah. Gerald Butler is taken down. He gets tied up. His wife is being raped next to him. Yeah. They both are stabbed and bleeding out and dying on the floor. Yeah. But, but Clyde is still going. He's still got the strength to look up and see his daughter, who these two that have just broken into the house. We've got Christian Stolt playing Clarence Darby. Yeah. And Josh Stewart playing Rupert Ames. Yeah, yeah. And it's Darby who then goes, um, you know, the, I'm good with kids as he goes and picks up the child as we fade to black. Yeah. And, you know, we, we don't need to know album, but we do we, know. Yeah, we know. We know. Yeah, exactly. And so the film hits you pretty hard right away. But it also immediately makes you identify with Clyde, his plight. And you're kind of curious then to see what he's going to do about it. Because it's something any parent. Any person, yeah. anybody really watching this film would be like, what would I do if someone near and dear to me was just brutally you know, killed this way? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing. That's what I mean about this film. The film immediately sets you up like, this guy has had his whole world ripped from him. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But I'm totally, I'm totally justifying everything else he does in this movie you know he goes to the court case with jamie fox and i do really love jamie fox but i think around about this time like he was just he was just being hit with roll after roll after roll like he'd done ray he'd done collateral you know he actually had kind of a resurgence on his you know acting career we won't talk about amazing spider-man 2 because that's really bad but, you know, I saw him in this and I'm like, oh, so, so maybe he's going to be the helpful lawyer who kind of uncovers what's going on while while all these murders are happening. But he's not. He's actually the biggest dick because immediately, yes, he's this high ranking lawyer who's got like a 96 percent prosecution rate. And he is literally saying to Clyde Shelton, Jared Butler, I'm sorry, I don't think we can win this case. There's just not enough evidence. I'm like, motherfucker, did you see what he did to this family? Like, we're talking sweat and semen. I, it's I, what you can prove, not what you know. I, I, I get that. I, I believe, um, what's his face, says the same thing in Training Day. That is, uh, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I, but it's just the idea that the film tries to kind of... Sh I don't know, shoehorn in or fix that it's like, oh, Jamie Foxx is the hero. He's the guy you've got to get behind. I'm like, well, no, because he's literally just told Jared Butler, like, oh, we can't, we can't do anything. We're going to cut a deal with Darby, the murderer, the actual fucking murderer, who's going to admit that it was Ames who did all the crime. I'm like, I don't under, really understand how, you know, like police procedures work, but I'm pretty sure that wouldn't happen especially to the fact that he's like oh i'll only get five years the whole guy's family has been brutally murdered that's at least 10 years but no jamie fox he's he's the hero he's shaking hands with darby yep off you go 97 percent conviction right now yeah <laughs> even his even he's already overshadowing his boss yes like when when other suits come in they're just like yeah we <laughs> we, we want we want jamie fox yeah yeah we yeah. don't need you you sit you stay there yeah <laughs> and then it takes that weird 10 year jump like we we see jamie fox go home he, he sees his wife she's pregnant with their first child and you know he's living with the stress of obviously dealing with all these cases we then jump 10 years into the future they're still living in the same house but they seem to have a really happy life but dad is constantly working 
He's working all the time. Can't go to his daughter's recital. Yeah. He's too busy. It's like... Even his wife is just like, just just fed up with it. Yeah. You know? And so that's the message we're getting, that he's just <laughs> consumed with his ego and his status as this best lawyer ever. So how can I get behind this guy? I, I can't because he's... He's already done bad things from the start. Well, he's about to have a very bad week. (laughs) A lot of people are. Because we get to the crux of the movie. Well, we get to... After the 10 years, Rupert Ames is now up for execution. Yes. He's going to have the lethal injection. And this is intercut with the the, the recital as well. The musical piece that, uh, that, that Nick Rice's daughter is performing. So we've got this... This weird kind of setup of of creativity and death. Yeah. However, there's also a bit of creativity in the death, too, as we find out that the lethal injection jars have been meddled with. We don't know how yet, but we do see that one of the bottles has a message written into it, you can't fight fate. Yeah. Which is something Darby said uh, to Clyde when he was bleeding out before. And so as an audience member, we know what's going on. Yeah. Now, somebody on IMDb said that in the audience of all the people watching the execution, that Gerald Butler is apparently sat in there, but under makeup uh, or, or, yeah. or in a costume, so that he could witness maybe, well, spoilers, his his handiwork. Yeah. Uh, as this execution goes horribly wrong, it's supposed to you know die in your sleep. Die painlessly. Yeah. Well. He doesn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> But the fact that, like, Ames has just been killed and now the investigation has started. I mean, we've got Cole Meany uh, playing uh, Detective Dunnigan, you know, fucking Miles O'Brien there. And he's even overshadowed by Jamie Foxx, who, like, I get as a lawyer, but it's like, he's a fucking detective. <laughs> yes, I know. I, throughout the film, I, was, I kept getting, like, seven vibes. Yeah. And I'm constantly going, no, he's a lawyer, not a cop. He's, he's not. No, he's a yeah. lawyer, not a cop. He's a lawyer. Like, he keeps walking around like he's a cop. Yeah, like, he owns the fucking place. He just knows, oh, yeah, no, it, it, we think it could be Darby, but it's not Darby's M.O. Darby was always violent, and this was, like, calculated. I'm like, oh, maybe it was the fucking husband, you know? Like, I... I know it's not in the story, but I always kept thinking somebody had set them up to kill Gerard Butler and his family. But it's never actually brought up in the story. It's these, irrelevant, essentially. These, that's yeah. it. These two random guys just happened to pick this one house and happened to do all this stuff and then happened to kind of get away with it to the fact that Gerard Butler then spends the next 10 years kind of orchestrating all this crazy stuff because we cut to Darby at his apartment. Darby's got cocaine on the table. He's got a hooker on the floor. Police are on their way. He doesn't realize it until his phone rings. And it's this muffled voice telling him to get out of there. I'm trying to keep you alive. You're you're not going to jail. And so he escaped on the roof. Stupidly opens fire on the cops. Which just fucking implicates him even more. Um, and then he's running across the rooftop. And F. Gary Gray, the, the director, like... I really like Friday. Oh, of course. You know, straight out of Compton, I really do like. The Negotiator is really good as well. So this guy can really work. And I love this kind of rooftop chase sequence where the cops are down on the street. It's really gritty. And and the voice is telling them, look, you need to go to the factory. There's a police car there. Why the fuck am I going there for? I've tasered the cop. You know, we can steal his car and you can get away. And you're like, oh, somebody's... My guardian angel. Yeah. (laughs) Only to find out that uh, it's Clyde. Yes. In, in in a wig and, and a fake beard, 
Darby ends up taking the gun yes. off of Clyde and goes to shoot him. Yeah. But of course, it's trap. And he ends up, you get to reveal, he has to pry the gun out of his hand because all of these needles have burst out of it and injected him with this toxin, yeah. which has essentially paralyzed him. He said it's like a bloatfish. Yeah, it's so, like a Japanese bloatfish. So he, he, he's going to be completely paralyzed, can't move a muscle, but all of his nerve endings are still going to be very active. Yeah. So he's going to feel all the pain. Yes. And the sequence, it's described to you and your imagination does wonders with the imagery as he describes using a box cutter to cut off his penis. Yes. How he describes wanting to cut off his eyelids as he brings over a mirror above him so that he doesn't miss anything. Oh, also going to inject you with adrenaline Keep so that you don't pass out. I've also got all this medical equipment so I can resuscitate you and drag out this torture for as long as I want. Yeah. And then it fades to black as he's cutting off his leg and you're just like... Oh, shit. But by this point, I'm looking at Gerald Butler. I'm like, I'm totally behind this guy. Yeah, it's just like, like, yeah, I'd do this too if if it was me. (laughs) His family's been killed. He's caught the guy that has killed his family. And now he's going to torture him for a long time. I mean, you hear Darby kind of screaming as his leg is sawed off. But he can't obviously move. He can't. He can't do anything. I immediately just thought of Jigsaw, the Saw movies. I'm like, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Go, yeah. Absolutely. Do all this kind of shit. And you also get the idea, which I think is brilliant on Jared Butler's part, that he's not just a vengeful father. He's pretty fucking smart. He's constructed this whole thing. He's planned it all. He's had years. Well, that's right. The The police start doing some investigating and they... Well, actually, no, the lawyers do all the bloody <laughs> yeah, the detective <laughs> work. And they're just like, well, he owns property here, here. He's got offshore accounts and he's, he's liquidating his, his business. And yeah. So which property do we know where he... Oh, he's here. So all the police drive up and yeah. Joe Butler's just like, oh, I'm going to strip down naked. Strip down naked. Take, take me in. It's fine. If you ever wanted to see Leonidas's butt and and you didn't see 300, here it is. And he, yeah, he just strips naked and he's just like, okay, you arrest me. So you you really, like, I'd seen this film at least three times by now. So I just know that all of this is completely premeditated. It's all orchestrated. He's got this massive plan. But if it's your first time, the, the, the film really does bring you into this lull of he's giving himself up. He's going to jail. And he sits down with Jamie Foxx and... This sequence is fucking just brilliant because it. Comp- I love the way it kind of switches. Jamie Foxx kind of sits in there, you know, turns off all the cameras and he's just like, look, you did the world a favor. You know, you killed him. You killed the guy who killed your family. Bravo. No, it won't shed a tear for me. And, and Jared's just like, oh, not saying anything. And then he turns back on the camera and he starts questioning them of, you know, did you kill Darby and Ames? Uh, I had thought about it. And the way he constructs his answers is just, when you're paying attention, you realise that he hasn't actually implicated himself in He's anything. not confessed. No. No, no, no. He's And, and Jamie Foxx gets to go up and leave, and that's when you see the change in Clyde's face of, uh, excuse me, counsellor, if you check the tape, if you check my answers, I didn't say anything. I didn't implicate myself. But... If you were able to bring me like an absolutely amazing, comfortable super bed for my cell, I'll give you a confession. And so they they give him a bed. And you start to see it. It starts to become more and more of Gerard Butler's attitude towards Nick Rice, you know, Jamie Foxx, of stop making fucking deals with killers. Because this is what got him in there in the first place. The, the, the handshake with Darby had set this yeah. all off. 
Well, this leads into uh, one of my favourite scenes as well, which is the courtroom. Yeah. Where (laughs) they're just like, they're ready to send us in. They're just like, yep, you know, you're going to jail without bail right now until we have your court hearing. Yeah. And uh, he's like, well, I'm going to defend myself and I would like to say something, Your Honour. Yeah. And he's just like, he essentially says, how stupid are you? You were about to let someone who you know is a killer walk right out the door. Well, it's because he schooled her with all yes, this information. Exactly. exactly. He gave her some lore jargon yeah. because he's been researching. He's, yeah. And, uh, and and of course, she's just like flabbergasted. She's like, oh, all right, <laughs> hey, I'm going to bang my fucking... My, I bet you take it out the fucking ass. Too. I love that line. <laughs> Damn. You jumped on that like a bitch on me. Yeah. I'm just like, God, oh. Yes. You know, and of course, so even, the, even the, uh, the prosecution lawyers are just like, oh. I feed you a couple of bullshit legal precedents, and there you go. You jump on it like a bitch in here. Your Any time. idea what justice you is? Now what, whatever happened to right and wrong? Court. Jesus Christ! Whatever happened to right and wrong? Whatever happened to justice? And I bet you take it up the fucking ass. Bitch. <laughs> It's a great moment in the film. But the thing I don't get is that the film still keeps trying to go, oh, Jamie Foxx is the hero. He He's figuring out what nobody else is figuring out, that this is all premeditated and this is all pre-planned. I'm like, well, duh. But he keeps telling everybody, like, no, we're doing the right thing. No, we're doing the right thing. And more people just keep fucking dying, you know. Well, it turns out the prosecution lawyer yeah. from his first case has disappeared. Yes. Disappeared for three days now. And... Uh, uh, and Clyde's like, well, actually, I've I've got more to confess, you know. Yeah. And if you want to know where he is, uh, then by one p.m. sharp, yeah, uh, I want this steak dinner, and I want steamed asparagus, yeah. and I want lobster macaroni, and and this and this, and so you know the the uh, the warden's just like outrageous. I can't believe <laughs> this, uh, you know, this five star service to an inmate, and of course all the other prisoners are going ape <laughs> shit, ape shit. <laughs> See this this cart being wheeled in. Of course, even his other inmate, his cellmate, is just like, can you believe this bastard? Yeah, yeah. Uh, until Clyde's like, yeah, you know what? There's plenty of steak. Have some. You like some macaroni? There you go. Eat yeah. that. Yeah. Here's the iPod. Play whatever you want, and then brutally shanks him in the neck. But this is it. He's he he's given the the lawyers and the detectives this information of where the the prosecution lawyer has been hiding because he's obviously kidnapped him but because the warden was wanting to like prove a point to to clyde that he wasn't in control he held the food back for an extra 15 minutes so when the food turned up late by the time the lawyers have raced across the fucking city or whatever to get to the location they've been given by Clyde where this guy is, the guy has died. And if they'd been there on time, then they would have obviously saved this guy's life. And so it's more like it's jigsaw all over again. Like, I'm giving you these rules. I'm giving you these lessons. And you're not fucking paying attention. And so, yeah, when they're all distracted and he sat there and he's eating steak dinner, you see him. He takes the bone out of the meat. You know, he's sharing the food. And then he just walks around and he fucking stabs that guy in the throat and just leaves him bloody. And then climbs onto the bed with his arm behind his back going, uh, Warden, I think I might need a shower. <laughs> like, oh, my God. It's great. It was a great moment. I mean, it takes you off guard because you just like you know the you felt the tension between these two in the cell. Yeah. But it eased down during this dinner scene. You're know, kind of bonding a little bit, and then that brutal fucking murder. Man, I <laughs> I've been on edge since that DVD had ended up at the the Nick's family's right. house, and the little girl got to watch yeah. the uh, the snuff tape. Essentially, <laughs> yeah. she's like, "Mommy," where he's cutting off some guy's leg. I'm like, "Fucking turn the DVD player off." <laughs> right. 
man, we got the situation as well because we've got what is it? Uh, Bruce McGill uh, playing Jonas, who's a friend or a mentor to Jamie Foxx's character, and kind of you know questioning exactly what they're doing with with Clyde and where they're going, and they're still trying to investigate, you know, all of his money and all of the different things that he's been doing over the last ten years and what he's why he's doing this now. And they have that moment where they go to see the judge from the court case who had been presiding over the original court case as well 10 years prior. And she's just like, what's the plan? And they're like, look, we just need to like, we need to have him in solitary kind of forever. We need to kind of just keep him there and forget about him. But she's like, look, we can't just give up, you know, give, give up people's rights. And they're like, look, you don't really, don't really understand this guy. And I think it's this is after they've met the spook, yes. the secret agent. They've met the secret agent underneath a tunnel, and he's basically explained to them, look, Clyde is the guy that we asked to go kill the unkillable. You know, he gives examples. He's like, look, a spy kills. Clyde plans on how we fucking do it without being spotted. So you immediately get this idea that the only person who's super smart in this movie is fucking Clyde. Everybody yeah. else is playing They, they call him, him a think tank. Yeah. So that he can assassinate people or make it look like an accident. Yeah. And, or, or kill someone and not be in the same room. So we get the idea now that all of the pieces start to fall into place with how he's been able to orchestrate all of this stuff. He didn't just, you know, take 10 years out to go and do all of this. Yeah. He was already involved in this kind of work beforehand. But he's been planning to bring Which, down the whole justice system. Now we not know Not just these two guys. Yeah, but now we know this. It also makes you think maybe he was then targeted from the beginning because of his prior kind of work. Well, this was but again, it's not explored. It's not, again, it's not, it doesn't matter. You can just make the link. I, I also kind of thought, uh, before we get to the judge's death which is awesome i also kind of thought could the movie have gone without the murder at the beginning and just had it as a flashback in the middle or do we really need that scene I, to yeah, fully set it up to say this is absolutely because like say, it's it so just, strong it's it's so strong but it immediately gets me on the side of jared butler like yeah. i'm like yeah, I'm totally that's where the film wants this. you to be. It's where it wants you to be. You know, when I'm when I'm sat there in this little room with the judge and Jamie Foxx and Bruce McGill, she's just like, okay, yeah, you know what? We're we're just gonna take away his civil rights. Fuck him, you know, throw him in a hole. I didn't like him anyway. Yeah. And she, mobile phone goes. <laughs> she picks up her phone and puts it to her ear, and then, boom. Hello. <laughs> I mean, anybody first time watching this film, it's an awesome moment. Yes. It really is. Because, again, like you said, you're still rooting for Clyde. Yeah. This, this, this judge, you know, she had it coming. She had it coming. That's how you feel. We, that's where the film positions you as an audience. Uh, so you kind of root for that death. Really. Yeah. You go like, yeah. And it's and it's gory as well. This movie yes. does not hold back on the violence or gore just to, you know, please people. It's like, look, you need to see this to shock you. And so, you know, you've got Nick and you've got Jonas now really thinking like he can hit us at any point doing anything. We need to understand what he's doing. He's locked in solitary. That's fine. But he must have an accomplice somewhere. So we've got Leslie Bibb playing Sarah Lowell, who's kind of like they, they don't ever bring it up. But it's she flirts and has, I think, feelings to Nick. Or they've worked so much together that they are really, really close. Which yeah, causes she, she's the kind of like a daughter to him. I don't God. think there's a romance there at all, but an absolute admiration because 
she's his underling. She's going to take his role when he moves on to become, you know, DA, essentially. Yeah, but it's like... So well, she well, has but... sacrificed her entire life to be here to it... work for him. But she is already questioning his morality and yeah. his choices. She's like, I've given up everything for this job. And what I see you do, I feel is wrong. Yeah. And, and you know, Nick is just like, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. No. It's not. No, we're doing it for the law. We've got to keep the system. And I, and I, I get that, but at the same time... I mean, the, the, the like, film does kind of, like if, like, if you're paying attention, the film is hitting you over the head with his message. Yeah. I mean, it's not hard to understand. And, and it is now at the point of the film where your idolizing or hero-worshipping kind of Clyde starts to, starts to falter because Sarah goes out into her car... And uh, you know they've just they've just come from the prison. I think. Yeah, yeah. They've moved all they've moved all their information to the prison to be close to to Clyde, so that there was no less chance for him to get uh, to get to them. Yeah. And they've spent all night looking for all this information. And Clyde had said to him, "Look, release me. Yeah. at Six p.m. Uh, or everyone's gonna die. And it's gonna get pretty biblical." Yeah. And he's watching the, you know, he's paying attention to the time, and eventually he hears the sirens going, and he's like, "God damn it! I, I, I didn't want to kill them." That's it. But they're just not listening. They're just and not it, listening. And it's the moment where where Leslie Bibb, Sarah, she's in the car. And I felt, I mean, I yeah, like Cole Meany, yeah, you know, is such an awesome actor in such a small role in this yeah, film. Yeah. I think she deserves just as much credit because. She doesn't have prominence, but she has reactions yes. to everybody and everything that's going on. She's always reacting, yeah. even if the camera's not focused on her. So I thought she actually was really good in this. And the moment where she has that flustered panic in the car, yeah. oh, I was just like, oh, no. And then it's gone. Yeah. That's, you know, it's the, the first character to start realizing what's up. <laughs> the film takes her away. But this, and then, this... but then it follows with the cemetery scene, her oh, funeral. Oh, yeah. You know, because they're at the funeral and Nick is just like, yeah, we did the absolute right thing. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, and his mate's just like, are you really sure about that? <laughs> yeah, because like, a lot oh, of people mate, are fucking dead. You know, <laughs> the mayor, fucking uh, played by Amanda Waller from Suicide Squad, you know, uh, uh, played by Viola Davis. Um, she says to both Nick uh, and Jonas, like, what the fuck is going on? Why the fuck is this guy still in my city? Are you telling me this is all because you fucking fucked up and I've got to try cleaning this up? You need 24-hour fucking protection all the fucking time. And so, like you said, after seeing Sarah die, and I, I did really like her character because there were the little tidbits where Nick is questioning her about her boyfriend. You know, and she's like, oh, well, I'm with this other guy, but that's not going to last because the other guy didn't last. And so I kept thinking, well, she's putting her work ahead of her relationships. Just like Nick Just Nick's, like Nick yes. is. But where Nick is willingly doing it, she's sacrificing all of her stuff. So like I said, when she dies, you're as the audience member, you're supposed to go, oh, no, innocent victim killed. But at the same time, I'm like, Nick, what the fuck, man? Why the fuck didn't you just let him go at six? You know, he could have just avoided all of this fucking shit. He's telling you these lessons. So then when you get to the fucking cemetery sequence, and Jonas is just like, dude, seriously, all of our fucking friends are dead. Like, I'm pretty scared. And, and Nick's just like, oh, okay, uh, let's just get in the car and we'll, we'll drive off. You you slowly see this thing move along by the gravestones, and then you see it. It's like a disposable arm. Well, a bomb disposable un robot unit. It's a Browning M2 HB heavy machine gun. Yeah, <laughs> and it does some damage. It does, but it doesn't kill him. The fucking rocket launcher does. <laughs> 
please, listen to me. And you see the hands, the gloves, somebody's controlling it. Now, I'd already, well, the first time I'd watched it, I'd already kind of figured this out. Because there was no way that Clyde, and I know the movie tries to implicate that Clyde is still in the prison. Spoilers. He's still in the prison. He's still in solitary. But this guy has completely been one step ahead every fucking time. He's all over this. His rules are simple. His his, his language is very clear. And so you see Jonas die. And I'm still like, why is Nick not dead? You know, because he's trying to teach Nick this lesson. Nick, you are fucking wrong. You are absolutely wrong. And then Nick finds it out through... Sarah's like ex-boyfriend or whatever um, that all of the money that he'd been spending had linked up to all these different properties that he'd bought um, around their town I think it's Chicago or or was it Philadelphia Philadelphia like you know around around this area and so he takes one of the addresses he spots on the map and he goes there with Cole Meany and they realize that Nick has bought a warehouse just on the outside of the prison and not only that, but from this warehouse, he has dug a tunnel to all of the solitary cells in the prison. It's reverse Shawshank. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny, because they actually, Frank Darabont was attached to direct this film at one point. Nice. Uh, but eventually he quit and walked away before cameras ever rolled due to creative differences. Mm, okay. But this script also went through lots of different rewrites. Lots of different people had a stab at it. Uh, but I also, I mean, the the guy who has the sole credit for the film. Yeah. Uh, he did, I think he did Sphere. Okay. Uh, he also did Equilibrium. Oh, right. Okay. So, yeah, I'm starting to notice a pattern that his ending's not at the strongest point. Well, I mean, we'll we'll get to this film's ending soon enough. But there's a little bit of controversy around this ending. Yeah. With what was actually in the film as well anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... So Miles O'Brien and um, Ray Charles have obviously realised that the uh, the tunnels all lead to all the solitary cells, um, and they've also realised as well that after he they've given fucking uh, Gerard Butler a bit of a beat down in the front of the prison, you know Clyde has said to him like, "Look, I'm fucking burning this whole thing down. It's going to be fucking biblical," and they realised that he's <laughs> he's built a bomb, and he's taken it to the mayor's office. And the mayor is holding a meeting with like all of the chief staff of FBI, the CIA, Homeland Security. All of them are in this room. And so he's going to blow them up. But while he's been in prison, I think it's fucking brilliant. It's stupid, but it's fucking brilliant. While he's been in prison, he's then been coming out of prison and going to work as a cleaner in the mayor's office, keeping up this pretense. And so he knows the location and just going back and forth. <laughs> You know, so the hands in the graveyard, that was him controlling yep. the, the So the you, you're led to believe he has an accomplice working for him outside. Yeah. When actually, no, it's just him leaving prison to yeah. go and do, the, yeah. do those bits and pieces and then go back into he's jail again. He's got all of his uniform pressed underneath the prison cell. I mean, he's thought he's this through thoroughly. He's got civil... Like, when they went, look, he's tapped into the surveillance camera. I was like, he hasn't tapped into it. He fucking owns the prison <laughs> surveillance camera. Like, he's got everything there. <laughs> And so they race over to the mayor's office and they realise that they've got this bomb. It's underneath the office. Not only will it take out the office above them and all the meeting people up there, but it will take out this whole floor. Everything will just be fucking destroyed. And so they're unsure what to do about it. But we kind of cut back to Leonidas making his way back to the prison. Um, 
and he makes his way along the tunnel, gets back into his cell and is confronted by Nick. And like, I know this is the point of the movie where you're supposed to, if you haven't by now, you're supposed to be behind Nick and be like, he's going to save us all. He's going to stop the madman from killing more innocent people. But I still don't buy it. Like I, because he says to him like, oh, right, you know, Gerald Butler's like, look, you should have listened to me, but I'm still going to bring this all down. Oh, what would your daughter think? My daughter and wife can't think anything. They're dead. I'm like, yeah, fuck you, Nick. Burn, you know? And as Gerald Butler goes to hit the phone number... The, to call it. To, to trigger to the, bomb. the bomb. Yeah. You know, Nick runs outside the cell and goes, well, that's going to be the end of your life. Ha ha ha. I just needed to know your answer. And so he locks the gate from one side and Cole Meany locks the fucking exit from into the tunnels from the other side and you realise that the bomb is underneath Jared Butler's bed and it's a pretty good fucking effect I yeah. think yeah it's super slow-mo yeah. it's just like the you know the fires of hell have come for you now Clyde you didn't go into the happy place <laughs> but at the same time I'm kind of sat there going I think he already knew that uh, yeah right he, he committed himself to uh, did this his... 10 years ago he was never going to heaven but at the same time, he's totally justified, isn't he? Everybody he's killed were bad. No, not not thoroughly, not, not evil. No, we're not. They made some bad, poor choices under Nick's leadership. <laughs> they didn't deserve. I mean, granted, the two schmucks that fucking. I mean, that's a, that's too polite a word. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those <laughs> yeah. two guys at the beginning, scumbags that, that raided the house. But, but yeah. this is it. Like from like Ames didn't need to be killed the way he did because he well, didn't I mean, really I mean, do anything. Like Darby, fuck yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, even Ames, the film also makes starts to make you feel sympathetic to Ames during his yeah. execution. I mean, he's actually aware and kind of sorry for what he's done. Well, he didn't he, murder He's just them. not as douchey as, as Darby and ended up in this predicament, essentially, and, and dies horribly. Yeah. But yeah, like, you know, the other lawyers, they, they didn't... Yeah, they needed a, you know, slap on the face to wake up and go, look what you're doing compared... You know, you are using the law for your own ends. You're not serving justice or working for justice, you know. It, That's it. And it's the whole morality thing. And yeah. yeah. The film, you know, it smacks you over the head with it pretty often, it is pretty heavy-handed in it, but it is also an interesting dynamic to have your hero become the anti-hero, become the villain, whereas you're, you know, the guy that you don't like very much, who's not really in, you know, invested in his family, yeah, yeah. he's, you know, doing horrible things with a job, <laughs> end up becoming the hero. At the end of the day, it's... it's this is where the writers were with the end of this film as yeah, well. Yeah, that's now, what I'm saying. They the had was weak. a lot of different ideas for this ending as to who kills who. Who's right? Who's wrong? What is the lesson? What is the morality? How do you satisfy everybody and conclude this film? See, for me, I think... Like, like the film ends mainly with Nick quitting his job or whatever. He doesn't really quit his job. He just kind of goes back and watches his daughter's recital, which mm. I'm like, you should have been doing that from the beginning. Right. Um, so he has learned. So, so he, <laughs> but yeah, he okay. He learned from piles of dead bodies. Yeah, I know, but when that's the, the the closing conversation that the two of them have, he's just like, "I've been a great teacher, haven't I?" <laughs> yeah, I think I might have been happy. Like I, I am kind of happy. Gerald Butler is dead because he gets to kind of he gets be some with peace. his family. Yeah, he's at peace. Right. But I also kind of like the idea. Like it would have been cool if. Like, they, the bomb had gone off, and they're like, oh, we found his body. Hey, did we know that Clyde had gold teeth? And Jamie Foxx is like, oh, he didn't. He switched the bodies. <laughs> did you want, like, a V for Vendetta ending? <laughs> the whole House of Parliament exploding? No, not... And the bomb going off, and the mayor... <laughs> no, not majorly. Like I said, the mayor, the mayor didn't know. She really wasn't in on it. But 
Nick was wrong hmm. for yeah. 90% of the fucking movie. Yet the movie's trying to go, no, Jared Butler's the bad guy. He's a murderer. I'm like, yeah. So I mean, there's there's been it, like people have started to point the finger, like who's responsible for this ending? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, a lot of people were just like, we rooted for Clyde and we wanted him to win. Yeah. Um, but uh, like Gerald Butler uh, had a producer credit on the film, so yes, he had yes, he some sway yeah. on how the, how the ending was going to go. Uh, believe it or not, uh, Jamie Foxx and Gerald Butler, when they were first cast, were in opposite roles. Oh and wow! I, they both actors have both said that it was their idea to switch. So, whose ever idea was it to eventually switch? Don't know. Uh, but it was casted that way originally. Oh, that would have um, been dark. It would have Jamie been Jamie Foxx's yeah. family killed at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, it, it is interesting. But I also don't know who... Like I said, Darabont, lots of different people on the script before yeah. the final script writer. So, there was lots of different scripts and ideas. But I... Honestly, I'm very satisfied, though, with the ending in the yeah. film. I don't think it ruins the film. I don't think it makes it a weaker film that some people have said. Yeah, I, I'll agree with that. Like, part of me, the first time I watched it, I was like, really? After, like like I said, after the ending of Death Sentence, the ending of Death Race, you know, the, the heroes kind of getting their proper ending and it being a good one, where with Law Abiding Citizen, I kind of wanted Clyde to get away, but after, like, a third time of watching it, I'm like, no, I get why you killed him. And I get the message, and I get we can't just be going around causing vengeance and harm to everybody that's wronged us, because it does get to a point of, you either live long enough to see yourself as the hero or die the villain kind of idea. Um, you know, maybe he should have stuck with killing the two guys, and maybe Jamie Foxx, and he'd have been done, but that's not what we got. We got this whole thing, and then when you get the fire, it does look pretty yeah. glorious, yeah. Well, it's been 13 years now since this film released. Wow. And they just announced a sequel. Okay. Law Abiding Citizen 2 is now in active development. Uh, Kurt Wimmer is returning to write the script. Gerald Butler is returning to produce. Oh, okay, yeah. No word yet on what the story's going to be or who's been cast in it. Now, we don't see Clyde die in the film. Yes, he's on fire and he's surrounded. But I will just say, right, okay, okay, okay. Say, <laughs> Halloween, the most recent one. Yeah. When Michael, when the house is on fire and Michael Myers is standing in the fire, what happened in the next movie? He just stood in a little alcove and went, "I'm fine here." <laughs> like I'm just, I'm not saying they're going to do that with all binding citizens. Oh, yeah, right. no, Clyde you... is not Michael Myers, but he's a think tank. He is smart, and I also, it also agitates me, right? <laughs> that he is so smart and he yeah. has such a crappy kind of comeuppance yeah. it gets caught out in such an easy way and it's just like I thought you were smarter than yeah, that yeah, that's but the, I'm the, not saying they're going to bring him back but what they what the, what the writers producers are saying like today in the even more corrupt you know questionable society of politics and governments and stuff yeah. that a vigilante that's going out there and punishing those that are supposed to serve justice and are manipulating it to their own ends getting their comeuppance and they even mentioned a bit like the, the a bit like Saw, like you also yeah, mentioned, yeah, 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 yeah. And so I think a modern or an, a, you know another version of this, it could work. Yeah, I, I don't know, but is it repetitive as well? By the end of this one, if he gets away, would we prefer him to die? The, they've said that too hard from the script that they've got so far that it's going to be mind blowing. Yeah, so, I don't know. I'm I'm excited. I want to see another one. It it, <laughs> it sounds exciting, but it depends on as well. Like we said, of how they get in the start uh, for the main star like I felt for Gerard Butler 
Mm-hmm. You know, I really felt when I saw the shocking shit at the beginning, you know, then the way that Jamie yeah. Foxx treated him. They've got to do the, it again. And then just yeah. do it But you can't do it again. If you do it again... It's going gonna, it's gonna it's, to be different, but it's still going to be the same. If you, if you do that thing, I won't feel for that guy. You know, because if it's Jared Butler again, I'll be like... <laughs> I'm just saying if I it already, is. I already know your family dies. But <laughs> I don't think they will. I think Clyde is dead. But that's it. You know, are they going to... You know, they're... Pro- they're probably going to do what we said. They're probably going to kill a guy's family. He's a think tank. It's going to, he's going to kill all the people. And as he's working his way up the list, it's yeah. going to turn out it's going to be his ex-boss who didn't like him because he was taking the job from Saudi but, Arabia. But I think in the, in, in the second one, they're going to, we're going to be rooting for him all the way to the end <laughs> until he kills the corrupt person. So like the equalizer, cross-punisher, cross-saw. Yes. yes. <laughs> I could do that. I could do that. Ian, did you have any favourite scenes from Law-Binding Citizen? I did. I had, I had quite a few. I mean... A lot of my favorite sequences are just the, I suppose, the kills. Like, I I do really love the camera work and and the script leading up to some of the sequences. Though, like we said, some of the pieces with Nick going, no, we're doing the right thing. It just seems really stupid when he's watching just everybody die around him. But, like, the, the keeping Darby alive at the beginning, you know, the torture. Like, you don't see it, but... The way Jared Butler puts it across, the way it's filmed, you're like, man, this motherfucker is not going to get out alive. And then when they go to see him and his head's there in one place and his legs are another. And then they describe it. They're like, yeah, he, he took his fucking balls off with a hacksaw and cut his fucking penis with a fucking box cutter. He cut his eyelids open with a scalpel. I'm like, nice. <laughs> Uh, you know, the the court sequence with Jared Butler, you know, he stands there and you do have that bit with Cole Meany where he's like, I thought he was an engineer, not a judge. And Nick's like, of course he's, he's an engineer, he's no lawyer. And it turns out he's passed the bar and he's learned all this stuff and he stands there in front of the judge and he basically schools her, you know, has her as putty in the palm of his hand and she's willing on just letting him go because there's no evidence to point that he killed these people and he just fucking mocks her and destroys her and goes, you, you, you were just going to let me walk out. You think I might have killed two people. What if I did? Fuck you, bitch. <laughs> and he fucking gets dragged back to his cell. <laughs> Clyde's justification for his actions. You know, Nick's attempt at reversing it. And and just, you know, there's that point where he stood in the cell and he gives him the necklace. And he says to him, like, what are your daughter and wife going to think about this? And it's the way Clyde turns, turns to him and says, they can't feel anything. They're dead. You know, he's... He's over the fact that they've died. You know, he it, it hurt him. He couldn't go on, but he needed to get some kind of closure with, with, with these people. He couldn't just let it continue. So he's set all this in motion. And like I said, Nick's attempt at going, hey, no, I'm the good guy, Clyde. You're supposed to be the bad guy. And Clyde's like, fuck you, man. Fuck you. Like the bombs in the cars when they walk out there, the tension of it building up. Oh, there's nothing wrong, Jonas. We're all fine. Look, it's... Oh, my God. Bah, bah, boo, boo. <laughs> Sarah, get out of your car. She's like, I can't drive. <laughs> you know, the fucking armoured fucking bomb disposal unit at the cemetery, the phone to the explosion to the ear, even leading all the way up to that fire sequence in the cell with Gerard Butler. I just... Yeah, all the violence was done really well. But... I will also say the sequences where Gerald Butler and Nick, um, Jamie Foxx's character, are just having their one-to-one in that little kind of cell cage room. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's two great actors going toe-to-toe. It was ace. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think you've just rattled off like the entire movie again. <laughs> yeah, sorry, you, you sorry. just recapped it. Sorry. But yeah, I'll try, and, I'll try and pick out a few. I'm going to definitely say the opening of the movie, the intro, yes. really catches you off guard. Very shocking, very strong opening. Um, Clyde with his descriptive torture before fading to black. Yeah. Fantastic uh, script and delivery there. Painted a wonderful, grotesque image. All the scenes that you've mentioned yeah, between yeah. Nick and, and Clyde, especially the power play between the two of them. Yeah. Um, where he's uh, trying to get his confession from him and he thinks he's got it and he flips it on him. It's like, yeah, it's the, the script might be quite simple, really. Mm, yeah. Uh, but again, these two actors, they make it work. Yes. They, they actually really make it work. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Clyde baiting the judge, you know, <laughs> and then just flipping it on her as well and making her look... Like an imbecile. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, her answering the phone after she's many times throughout the film gone, no, no, phone's in my court. Uh, and so it just happens to be a mobile phone that blows her head off. It's like, <laughs> yeah. That's just it's one of the highlights. It really is a great moment in the film. Catches you so off guard. Yeah. You don't expect it. You really don't. And the ending, that the image with the fire breaking up behind the, the prison cell wall, I thought, yeah, it looked, looked really good. And, of course, the music yes. r- really helps here as well. Yeah. So, Ian, do you recommend... I do recommend uh, this movie, though, like like I said, you might not like the ending if you're a first time watching it. You may not like the ending if you have already watched it. But I would say go back and watch it if you you if you haven't watched it in a, in a while. Like Jared Butler and Jamie Foxx are just fucking great. I, you know, they always have been. They've worked really hard at their craft. It's nice that they, instead of being two egotistical actors you know, jockeying for the top spot, they actually sat and went, hold on a minute, do you want to swap? You know, because I think it would be better if we played like this. You know, Jamie Foxx does play a really good lawyer, though it does become a little bit unbelievable that he would be investigating everything and being in charge of everything and just be getting the perfect ending by the end of the movie, where that's why you kind of relate to Clyde, because as as an everyday Joe, you know, even as a think tank, you know, Having his family ripped away from him would push anybody over the edge. But then the question is, is how far are you willing to go? Some of us want to see him blow the judges up and bring the whole system down. But it did make me laugh that it's kind of like, you know, Jamie Foxx is a district attorney. So he's kind of Two-Face. And Gerard Butler is kind of like a Riddler Joker while he's in the cell saying he's in control of everything. And you've got fucking Amanda Waller running the fucking Suicide Squad from the mayor's office. So, in a way, it's kind of a DC movie. <laughs> well, I do recommend <laughs> Law Abiding Citizen, not the DC version. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a well-produced, slick, action-revenge thriller that is highly entertaining even if the plot can at times feel incredibly silly or contrived. This is a man-against-the-system drama with plenty of gore, explosions, shocks and twists that never let up until the end. It's highly engaging and satisfying. The film's conclusion might or has split audiences, but I think it works. The lesson was learned. It felt right. Following the trajectory of a good guy gone bad while heavily commenting on corruption and ego and the American justice system. And with a sequel announced, I anticipate more store-style vigilantes coming soon. Good performances from Gerald Butler and Jamie Foxx, but Colm Meany and Leslie Bibb were great supporting actors here. Mm. Believable reactions and with some good screen presence, along with an almost sympathetic Ames played by Josh Stewart. I feel the pace was great. It's never dull, with great cinematography and editing and a tight soundtrack with some stylish flair here and there from director Gary Gray. 
So yeah, I recommend this as an action thriller with a little something to think about. You know, the ending might not please everybody, but the rest will surely entertain. The system must pay. Thanks for watching Off The Shelf Reviews.